0: I want you, or I would ask you anyway, to turn back with me then to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and our thoughts today will come from verse 19 through 21. We want to speak to you today about why we fail why we fail. That might seem to be a, an odd title, um, but it is the thought that, that we have to present to you today, and I think James warns us about um, today. Verse 19, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James has admonished his readers and, and thereby you and me as well, as we are now, though 2,000 plus years separated from his writing, he's writing uh, to us as well, and he's admonished us to be steadfast in trials. We've we've just lately looked at that to endure with patience and godliness the various trials that attend this life. That's what he's been dealing with and talking to us and writing, I should say, to us about. I and I suspect, at least I hope so. I I suspect anyone who is at all close to God or desires to be close to God or desires to walk this life close to him, I, I would believe or I would suspect anyhow that we all desire to do that, to be steadfast in trial. I think that's something that's placed within us when we get saved, this desire to walk with the Lord and to walk with him through the difficult times as well as the easy times. Again, one who remains committed to God um, throughout life as good days come and difficult days come that we remain steadfast. I think there's a desire in our heart to be that way. If there's not, then I think we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of consideration to undertake. But if it is true and if it is something we can say that it, as a child of God that our desire is to be steadfast in the midst of persecution, then we, we have to take warning of the things that can prevent us from doing that. But as we walk through this life as followers of Christ, we do desire to be steadfast, to be like the heroes of faith as they've been called in Hebrews chapter 11. And we think about Noah. We think about Seth and we think about Enoch and we think about uh, uh, Joseph and, and Joshua and David and, and the many others that are listed there, men and women alike. We want to be like them. There is a, a desire in our heart to be like them. And that word hero, though, in our brings with it in our minds a certain image, I think. A certain image of a type of person that we would like to be. In in 2022 and in the Hollywood age, as you might call it, we can actually get the wrong idea of what a hero of faith looks like. We can get the wrong idea of what it means to be steadfast. We can get this idea or this picture in our, in our minds of the man who walks confidently in the face of terrible resistance, the, the young lady who never gives up on prayer and continually strives to intercede on behalf of her family and her friends in prayer. And we get this idea in our mind or this vision in our heads of of this heroic type of person. And and while that might have its place, I think that what we find in reality when we face trials is that when we face them and we have trials in our lives as followers of Christ, rarely does it imitate That type of imagery. Rarely does it look like that. It never. With the dramatic music in the background. And the hero with his sword and shield in hand. Going to face certain death. But giving his life for a a worthy cause. That's often not how. Our trials. Appear to us. They look very different. Our trials they're ugly things. They're things that. We would never record if we had the choice, though God does. They can be very dark things. They're, they're trials that in many cases, rather than have people watch us confidently face them, we would rather nobody know we're even engaged in them. We'd rather people be unaware of what's going on in the deepest part of our heart. They're trials that we're often ashamed of at how we face them. Trials that seem to have the upper hand at times in our life. Trials that seem to throw us down and and shake our faith even to its core. And we we lay there beaten and bloody spiritually sometimes and hope that others aren't looking at all when we face trials. And James is going to tell us, in fact, he seems to know or Certainly we can say the Spirit of God knows, and thus he inspired James to write these things in verses 19 through 21 to show us why we fail our trials. Why we fail to be steadfast in trial as we've been encouraged and exhorted to do. And knowing why we can fail can equip us to not fail. It can help us and supply us with the information necessary to to trust and depend upon God in the way that we ought to, to help us to indeed be steadfast. And so we must face these obstacles that might get in our way from standing the test of faith, from standing steadfast in trial, from continue from stopping our run of the Christian race when we should continue to run. And again, knowing these things, these things that can that will face us and confront us and will confront you and me. Knowing them can be a great help as we face them. If you're like me and find yourself asking why you fail sometimes to be steadfast, when when all you really want to do inwardly is to stand steadfast, I think, I think your answer might be here. I think my answer might be here today in these verses. So if you are someone who desires to be steadfast you know the Lord you've you've been saved he's he's given you peace he's called you to himself and you want to be steadfast in your faith and yet you find as you go through this life that there are trials that confront you trials that maybe you've failed in the past or maybe even now presently are failing I, I want to call out some things that I hope might be a help to you I think they can be It can be a help to me and to all of us as we think about them, as James points them out. And it begins in verse 19 and says, know this. Now, what's interesting to us, and even here in the ESV, we have a change of heading and we have a change of paragraph. But in many other translations and in the Greek, there's a sense that instead of just beginning with know this, there is a reference back to what has been said in the King James translation. The word in verse 19 is wherefore, my beloved brethren, wherefore, or because of what we've just said, which was again, to be steadfast and to remain unshakable and unmovable, to remain steadfast in the midst of those trials. The King James refers back to that in the American Standard Version. It actually says in verse 19, you know this, my beloved brethren. Well, you know what? You know what I've just said, that we are to be steadfast. In the New American Standard Version, it says very similar. This you know, you know you ought to be steadfast, but, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But the point I want to make at the beginning, and the first reason I think that we sometimes fail in our Christian trials, is that we forget our calling. We forget the calling that we've been given, and specifically given in Verse 18. That we read of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. And again, the sense from the original language—it's referring right back to that. When He gives us this instruction to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, it's under the umbrella and the reference back to the calling that we've been given. And I think that James' instruction here, given in verses 19 through 21, are grounded in that idea that we have been called to such a glorious calling. This high and holy and unimaginable calling we've received from God to be first fruits of His creatures. We can can forget that in the midst of our trial when confronted with it. Whatever the trial is, Might be, and they take all kinds of shapes and sizes, and I think that's why James didn't list them specifically overly much. He just simply said, When you fall into these various trials, when these things come at you, I think one of the reasons that we can fail those times and not be steadfast is a forgetfulness of our calling. That we have received. We can get lost in the midst of the struggle that the trial prevents and forget The calling that we've been given. The trials that we have, they're difficult enough when we know the reason for them. When we remember the reason and and what we've been called to. But when we don't understand or when we forget that that reason or that calling, our, our strength often fails much more quickly than otherwise it would. So remember your calling. Calling from God to be to him his people, to be to him his child, the one that he has called and given life. In the dark moments of struggle and despair, it can serve as something of a spiritual lifeline, I think, to, to go back and to remember and to reread verse 18, that calling that we've been given in those struggles that we can be reminded that those struggles are there to mature us, to perfect us as James has talked about, to grow us and ultimately to bring us closer to God. And the reason sometimes that we fail in trial and do not remain steadfast is because we forget that calling. For whatever reason, we forget it as it was expressed by James. We forget verses like Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read to you verses 11 through 14, Paul writes, he gave the apostles, the prophet, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, why to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We, we forget this calling. We can forget it. And if we do, the trials that we face, they're much more likely to, prevent, to hold us back. and We are much more likely to not remain steadfast in the midst of them. And sometimes, even if we do remember the calling we've been given, I think, I think in, related to that, we can forget where we've been given this calling. We forget sometimes that we live in a fallen world with all the negative effects that that has. We live in a fallen world and, and we yet live struggling against the, our own carnal mind and heart and the sin that continues. To, to clothe us in many ways and we forget that we've been given this calling to remain steadfast in the midst of trials in a fallen world a world that has all of the negative ramifications of the fall scarcity things that we don't have enough of separation from one another either what we feel is for a time or forever even we The selfishness of the fall, the sorrow that the the fall brought, the sin, of course, that the fall brings into the world. We've received the calling to remain steadfast with God and to God. We have received the calling to overcome these things, but we have not received a calling that somehow delivers us away from these things or somehow to avoid the, the effects of the fall. We've been called to overcome those things. It wouldn't be possible to overcome something that you never come into confrontation with. And so when we are called to remain steadfast in the midst of our trials, it is of great help to us to remember our calling and to forget it is one reason why we fail, why we fall. We are going to have to strive To become what God has called us to be. In the midst of a fallen and broken world that continually confronts us with one wave after another of resistance. Seemingly one spiritual blow after another. We must remember where we have received this calling. And remember that this resistance that we're speaking about. This resistance against the desire to be steadfast in the midst of trials, this resistance comes at us in a number of different ways. There's several ways specifically that I would like to call out for you today. And the first, and I think the, primarily, the primary way or the primary resistance that we feel in this life and in this world is our own sin that throws us backward, that threatens to cause us to fail when it comes to remaining steadfast In trial, our own sin, our own weaknesses, our own failures. And trust me, I speak from experience. This sin of our our own, this terrible and perhaps most wicked enemy, our own sinful selves. As it stands in our way from remaining steadfast in the midst of a trial. We must recognize that calling that we've been given and recognize that in the weakness of our flesh we will never be able to stand steadfast as our heart, I pray, as we began, desires to do. That enemy of ourselves, as it continues to confront us again and again, we recognize the terrible enemy that it represents to us in our lives. But second, but again, I think less significant, Second is the sin of others, others around us, just the sin of the world, unbelievers, those who would cause harm emotionally or financially or even physically. Others, that, ha- that their sin comes in confrontation to us as we desire to remain steadfast, forgetting our calling and forgetting that and in, the, in the idea of the resistance that we're going ex- to face in the world, we must be ready and expect it. Our own sin as it stands in, in opposition to what our hearts desire to do and the sin of others as it stands in opposition to what we desire to do. But not only those two, of course, we have the third, the prince of this doomed world. The enemy, the adversary, as he is called in Scripture. Who desires to doom as many as he can along with himself for eternity? I was reading this last week, actually listening to a book. And it was, there's, there was a story he told of a man, and I don't remember, it was in the 1700s, somewhere in, in England, I believe. And um, a preacher stood up and was preaching one day and said, I wish I could just go around and speak and say the word eternity. Over and over eternity, 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 so that people might be awakened to the to the fact that it is eternity that we will inhabit one day. And one man, young man uh, listening in the audience took that to heart and went around, went around all over town and just wrote the word eternity And, and just everywhere You would walk along the streets, evidently from this story, you would read the word eternity, and it was everywhere in the village. And just that idea, and sometimes as we go through life, to remember that we've received a calling while we are here in this temporary place, and we're looking towards an eternity that is heading for all of us, that we're all heading, I should say, toward. And this enemy of ours this third resistance that we will face as we desire to stand steadfast in the midst of our trials, he will try to erase from our minds the reality of eternity. He will try to lock us up only and continually in this life, in this world, in this world's riches, in earthly things rather than heavenly things, in order to doom you eternally and to doom this all, as many as he can. And sometimes, I think, as we face our trials, I don't, don't know about you. I know from myself. I think I listed those in the order that I struggle with them most is my own first. Then perhaps others, and I don't know that I merit this adversary's attention all that much because the first two seem to handle me so well. But there have been times in my life. when I've been facing all three it seems my own my own sin the sin of others and even somehow it seems the adversary has des- desired or designed to give me some attention and in the midst of that trial whatever that it or they might be forgetting the calling that we've received from god and where we've received it can be a significant cause of failure. So I exhort you, I ask you to remember your calling as as your spiritual battles rage, the hottest when when strength to face them seems to be slipping from your heart, when when you remember your calling, it can revive you. When I forget this calling, when you or I forget it, we. The sword of the spirit, which is God's word, it, it grows heavy in our hands and we we will set it down. We'll stop reading it. We'll, we'll stop hiding it in our heart. When I forget my calling, I'll set this book aside and and it will not equip me for the very battles in which I'm engaged. When I forget this calling, I, I allow my shield of faith to be lowered, exposing myself. to to a larger target for the enemy's fiery darts. When I forget this calling that I've received, every piece of the spiritual armor that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6, every one of them becomes less effective, and I, I find myself fighting a battle without the necessary equipment to face it. I am unarmed and unarmored. I show up on the battlefield in that condition and when this happens, it's no wonder why I suffer a terrible and perhaps even humiliating defeat and I fall to the trial. I've forgotten the call. I've forgotten where I am. And so I, I sub- submit and I fall to the trial. If you would be steadfast in the trials you face, if I would be, We must never forget this calling. And though again as we read Scripture and we seemingly have moved to a different paragraph and a different thought and in some sense it's true that we have, do not read verse 19 outside of the context of verse 18 and that calling. Never forget the privilege that you've been given and invited to partake in. Never forget that the One who set the sun and the stars in the sky, has created you for himself and has called you to himself to obtain a a likeness to his son and to be to him his child and for him to be to you, your God. Don't forget that calling. If you do, it's certainly perhaps at the top of the list of why, why we fail in our trials. Second, reason I think that we see here why we fail is we take this admonition in verse 19 and we turn it around. We are told to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, but I, I think number, the second reason then that we often fail in our trials is we're, we're slow to hear, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to anger. If we're all honest with ourselves, we, we reverse this instruction from James far too often. I know I do. Rather than than doing what he says, which is this quick to hear, it's that idea is it's hurrying to hear, it's hurrying up and listening. One of the, the second reason that we fail is we we turn this this admonition all around. Why is it important that we are first quick to hear? I I think you know many of the answers. I just want to share a few thoughts with you today. One of one of the greatest dangers I think that we face as Christians as followers of Christ is is a forgetfulness that we are to be people who hear more quickly than we speak. Hear more quickly than we speak. Not too long ago we were wrestling with a similar verse in Ecclesiastes of this idea of being of our words being few. But but we need we need to Grasp a hold of this admonition from James, because if we're quick to speak and slow to hear, it's going to be at the top of the list of reasons that we fail in our desire to be steadfast in trial. And the reason that we need to be quick to hear, for one, is we don't know nearly as much as we think we do. We just rarely do. We rarely know as much as we think we know we need to be quick to hear because our misguided and incomplete understanding it leads us in all kinds of dangerous ways and dangerous places especially as we're facing a trial this idea that we know more than we ought to know and we don't need to be in educated anymore or learn or hear from God to think that we know all about even the trial that we're facing when we don't know what we think we know it can lead us to a bitterness against god and against others when we think we know things we don't when we begin to try to connect the dots about our trials and when we begin to try to think through them and and uh, and think that we know already all that we need to know i want you to consider with me just a moment how many times how many times in your life and in mine have you been upset or angry or disappointed or discouraged about someone or something and it, it turned out you simply didn't know everything you needed to know? It's happened so many times in my life. Become angry, I become a, a discouraged or disheartened when I look around and I think I know what i don't have the first idea of what i don't have the first inkling of what god knows you only knew part of the story but it it was enough and it got you angry or it got you upset and upon learning ultimately the rest of the story you discovered that your discouragement and your anger and your disappointment it was all unmerited and it was it was unnecessary and when that but and that bitterness that began to take a hold or that anger began to weave its way into your hearts and most dangerously weave its way into your heart as a bitterness toward God because you think you know what you don't know, which is why you need to hear quickly and speak slowly. Sadly, we, we just often, so often, do the opposite. Which usually, by the way, only tends toward more bitterness and discouragement. And I want to give you here a fair warning, and I pray we take it, all of us. The Three enemies that I listed earlier, our own sin, the sin of others, and Satan. They love to gain a foothold here, particularly in our thoughts toward God, this idea that we are certain about the facts and we have complete understanding, we go down a dangerous path, a forgetfulness that leads to a distrust of God when we are not quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That forgetfulness and distrust, it won't remain long silent in your heart. It will work its way to your mouth and to your tongue, and it will begin to shape the very direction of your life if you fail to heed the warning that James gives us here, to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. If you turn that around, the enemy and your own sin and the sin of others is going is to defeat you again and again and again in the trials that you face. Rather than being steadfast in them, you will fail them. And before you know it, will will have walked a great distance from god if we allow this to go on church attendance it, it begins to get reduced or dropped altogether our our thoughts they center on earthly things more than heavenly things and as a result our forgetfulness and distrust of god only grows our our desire to speak first and listen second only grows our, our, our uh, stubbornness to hear anything only grows. The irony of that whole situation, by the way, is that the bitterness that we feel, the distrust, the disappointment, we don't get away from those things. We begin to embrace them and become okay with them. And it's one defeat after another. We begin to walk away from God. And you know what's ironic? This thought came directly to me in such a way, I just want to say it to you the way it came to me. And I think perhaps it was me that was the audience for this without doubt. We end up demanding answers from God with our backs turned to him. We end up demanding answers from God with our backs turned Our bitter words to God, they they begin to outweigh and outnumber the words we hear in submission to him. When this is the case, it's no wonder, is it not, that we do not hear the answers we seek when our back is fully toward him. It's no wonder we do not hear the words of comfort we long to hear from God. We're we're too busy speaking to hear, demanding answers, instead of submitting willingly and submissively to the will of God. But why slow to anger? Well, James tells us directly, our anger will never produce the righteousness of God. And of course, he's speaking of the anger of man, our anger. Do you ever wonder what the fuel of anger is? What gives it life and strength? Perhaps a number of things, but I think one of the primary things that is the fuel of anger is pride. It just, it just fills the engine with fuel to burn. And pride takes us to a place, it's a wedge between us and God like few other things. The one who is slow to hear, quick to speak, is also often the one who is quick to anger, is he not? I think there might be something to the advice we've all heard to count to ten. We give our our children, that advice, I think it's actually good advice. Count to 10, but I would add a few things to it. Count to 10. And as you're counting, I want, we should be listening. As you're counting, listen again to what you thought you heard. And may, maybe you can put this you know, aside in the margin if you're taking notes, practical thoughts. Because I think there's some practical things to think about here. When you're counting to 10 or when you're taking a moment, when anger begins to well up in your heart, stop and count to 10. And as you're counting, replay the words you thought you heard. Establish them and make sure it's what you heard. Listen again with the intention to think the best, as as we're also told in Scripture of the one who's speaking, listening again while remembering the calling you've received from God. Listening again as you're counting from 10, Listening again with a heart that desires to remove any pride that may be preventing you from hearing correctly. We see that listening then, well, it requires a lot more effort than speaking. Listening is a lot harder than talking. Much harder. It's another reason we should be quick to hear, slow to speak. It takes more work. It takes more time to hear correctly than it does to speak. Now, anger here, it's a tricky emotion. It must be managed carefully, especially for the one who would remain steadfast in trial. Anger represents a spark that could ignite kindling of feelings or emotions or sins or desires. It can just set it ablaze in an instant that anger can. It must be managed carefully, especially for a child of God. Now, again, James does not say that anger ought never be present in us or that anger is always wrong because it isn't. He's talking here about being slow to anger, that man's anger never produces the righteousness of God. So what we must determine immediately when we feel anger is where are are, what are we angry about? And we feel anger begin to take hold. We need to understand whether, whether our anger is the anger of man or whether we are in a sense angered by the sin of others. as the really the, the direct sense that I get of this is, is I sometimes I when particularly we'll just give the example in Liberia, there was anger towards those who would hurt the church and hurt those who simply are trying to follow. God, I, I think that angers God as well, but if it 's anger and it 's just about me, it's my anger, then then it needs to be it needs to be controlled and harnessed when When we fail our trials, we can first we can fail them because we 've forgotten our calling, we can fail them because we turn the advice of James around, and we 're quick to speak and slow to hear and quick to anger. but third. So we work our way, and we'll be finishing before long. I have less to say about these last two. But the third reason we fail our trials, and just because I have less to say about them doesn't mean they're not equally valid. The third reason, verse 21, gives us an insight. We allow sin to remain in our life. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put it away, he says. Sin is a great, it's the separator between us and God. Sin in our life, especially when we're facing a trial, needs our utmost attention and care and repentance. Facing our trials without removing known sin from our lives is like a soldier who finds himself separated from his commanding officer, now uncertain where to go and how to get there. It separates us from God makes us uncertain of what we're supposed to be doing with the trial that we're currently facing. When we allow sin to remain, it separates us from God. And when we're separated from God, we have next to no chance of remaining steadfast in the trial that we're facing. And so James includes this. Get rid of the filthiness. Get rid of the sin. That that you know about. And when you're in the midst of a trial and you feel weak and you feel as though you're about ready to fail... Maybe take inventory. Is there something you're not dealing with? Is there some sin that is continually addressing itself in your life and you're not handling it, you're not taking it to God, you're not repenting of it, whatever that it might be? I'll tell you, the sin that you allow to remain in your life is going to be a terrible obstacle to your remaining steadfast in this Christian wall. Leaving sin in your life, too, not only separates you from God, which is most important, it'll separate you from others. And so then, you'll be facing your trials. without removing, When you face them and you don't remove that sin, you, you'll be like the soldier who fights on his own rather than shoulder to shoulder with another. Your separation from others will make you more vulnerable makes me more vulnerable and much more easily defeated. So we allow sin to remain in our life, and it leads us to, to failing, and to falling, and to not being steadfast. So when you meet trials in your life, I encourage you as all, it's important that we take stock of our heart and our life. If there's known sin there, it is going to be an obstacle between you and your steadfastness in trial. Fourth and lastly, we fail to humble ourselves before God's word. Verse 21. Let's just read it once again together. The beginning of remaining sin in our life. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. A certain path to failure in the midst of a trial is to look at God's word as less than what it is. A certain path to failure and the desire to be steadfast is to look at the word of God for less than what it is. We go looking for answers in our trial, which is natural and is fine and is right in its place. But we often already have the answer in scripture or it can work its way out in a different way altogether We go looking for an answer that we already want to be the answer. And we then look at Scripture and we go looking in Scripture for the answer we've already made up in our mind is the answer. And we don't submit in humility to the word of God. We face a particular trial about which God's word speaks clearly, perhaps. But rather than humbly submitting to what God has said in his word, we refuse to listen. We refuse to submit. We refuse to do what James says to do. To receive with meekness. The implanted word. And I want to speak for just a moment about that idea. The implanted word. The word of God. Who ultimately is Christ. And and, and by the way, and I, I hesitate to do this because I might lose my whole track of thought. And that's fine if I do. Christ is... Such an example to us in all of these things. His steadfastness in the midst of trial. Always faced with a, a, a desire to please his father first. To submit humbly to God's will, to his father's will. But when we read this word that we say that we believe is inspired by God and his, his word When we come across an answer to our trial that maybe we don't want to be the answer we're looking for, we don't submit to it, we don't humbly acknowledge it, we don't bow up on our knees and say to God, thus it is, as you have said it will be, and we submit to His will. And when we don't do that, we will fall. We will not remain steadfast in trial. It will be the reason we fall. You know, it's often... Not so many times have you thought or you've heard others say, well, the Bible just doesn't speak to my trial. It just doesn't doesn't have answers that I that I that I need. How many times have you heard people say that? You know what? I, I think sometimes without trying to be too harsh, I think it's not that the answers aren't there. The answers we want are not there. The answers we would prefer might not be there. Well, but the answers are there. If you'll just look. And submit humbly to them. the thing about looking in the Bible for the answers we want. Rather than the answers that it has. Is that you can search and search and search your whole life. And never find them. From Genesis to Revelation. If you're looking for the answer that you want. Rather than the answer that God gives. You'll be looking and looking and looking. And will fail in the time of trial. So I want to encourage you, if you have searched the scriptures for an answer for many years, maybe, and you haven't found it. And again, it may from an honest heart. I I don't want to be overly harsh here. But if you've been looking for an answer for many, many years and you've been searching God's word diligently, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But I would suggest to you just two things to think about. Are you looking for an answer you want? Or are you looking for the answer that God has first? First? Secondly, maybe you're just asking the wrong question. Maybe we need to go back to being quick to hear and slow to speak. We don't know what we think we know. So let's submit to God in humbleness and obedience and faith. And when you face trials, read God's word with a humble heart and mind. Do not assume you know what you don't know already. And instead, recognize and acknowledge that you don't and submit to God. So that you don't fall to this last reason that we might fail and might fall in our trials. An inability or an unwillingness, I should say, to submit to the word of God. These are sobering things to consider. and All of us need to do so. But I thank the Lord that he sent the spirit of God to inspire James to write these things for us to consider. That it might be real and it might help us as we face our own trials. But as you face yours, maybe these four things will, will be a warning sign or maybe an awareness of perhaps why you're seemingly getting the worst end of the deal with the trial that you're currently facing. And I pray that God would help you if that's the case and help me and each one. Uh, let's have a song if we could.